Welcome back to Netflix and Chilled Beer, the podcast that pairs beer with movies and discusses both. Uh, I'm Zach. And I'm Richard. And tonight we watched Donnie Darko, the director's cut with Jake Gyllenhaal. And we uh, we paired that with Dream Crusher from Deep Ellum, which is a two times rye IPA is what they classify it as. Double IPA with rye spice added in there. Um, we, oh, so it's rye spice. It's not made from rye. Like I think it's rye. I think it's a rye type of spice made in the like boil. Oh, um, I just assumed actually, that was like they use that instead of barley or wheat or whatever. No, no, you still got to use the barley to make the wort. Um, but my understanding is that maybe they mix in rye with the barley that makes the wort. Okay, but you, but you actually, still need that base. Yes. All right. You got to have that like super malty base okay. for any beer. Sorry, I already threw you off. Um, so we did Dream Crusher with Donnie Darko. Um, and we did that because this movie is, uh, I don't know, when you watch it, you kind of ask yourself, was it was it all a dream? It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper, something, something. Oh, that, that Biggie Small song. But anyways, uh, so that's why we kind of paired it with Donnie Darko. Um, and then we also paired Philosophizer, which is from Edelbert's Brewery in Austin. Um, we did that because this movie is, uh, is a little thinker. It's a thinker. Yeah, you kind of, it leaves you scratching your head. On certain aspects, which we'll get into later. Yeah. But on the front of this beer, it says that this beer is uh, meant to sip and ponder, and that it's it's common to uh, enter into philosophical. philosophical debates after opening this beer. So um, it's quite apt. Yeah, it's a it's a saison that's actually bottle aged, so or bottle conditioned, um, so it's got a lot of complexities in itself. But um, I guess I'll do a quick synopsis of Donnie Darko. So Donnie Darko is the movie about a brother and a sister, both in real life and in the film. And um, time travel and a large scary bunny. Yeah. Do you think that's a pretty good overall synopsis? I mean, large. So if you would if you were to tell me that there was a large bunny in this, I would think like giant, like Godzilla bunny. Yeah. But this is really just like human sized bunny. Yeah. But it's a scary bunny though. That face. It is. There are some creepy aspects of this movie for sure. I think that the bunny itself, the face of. Frank the Bunny in this movie has become like a cult iconic like symbol of misfits almost yeah. like a symbol of outcasts being you know filling out of general society like this is super dark and symbolic in so many ways mm-hmm. um, I, don't, I don't know how to say it was super dark though I mean th- there were parts that were but it was also it seems to me like it was trying to be very like lit- it was, it was trying to be like literature almost. Yeah, like that's what I got out of it because of the large amounts of symbolism, like a yes. lot. I guess like a ridiculous amount of symbolism throughout mm-hmm. the entire movie. I think they do a really good job, and uh, kudos to Drew Barrymore, who executive produced this, also starred in it. Or she was, I guess, star. She was, she was cast in, in this yeah. also. It was- it was um, almost like a prolonged cameo more than anything. Yeah. yeah, but she did. She was the executive producer, and that is how we got to this movie from Fever Pitch, last week's episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, before we dive in more and talk more about the beer and we talk more about the movie, uh, let's just do high-level general recommendations, what we would recommend. So I'll ask you first, Richard, would you recommend Donnie Darko to someone that has not seen it? Yes, I would. What? I know. <laughs> And the crowd goes wild. It's a first. 
No, it's second. No. Yes, I, I recommended Fever Pitch. No, 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 no I did it. I recommended uh, the the other one, Osmosis Jones. Osmosis Jones. Yeah, but you had a lot. I was of about cap- to say back to back. Yeah, but you had a lot of caveats in Osmosis Jones. I did. So I think I, this is your true mm, first. I still have a little bit of caveats, but not as many as Os- Osmosis Jones. Yeah, I so will say that. I felt like you were uh, you were timid to recommend Osmosis Jones, and here is the first time you, you were openly willing to just say yes. I recommend this movie to someone watch. Yeah, I agree with that. Which is weird because going into this movie, like I had seen it before, I saw it when I was in college, um, came with glowing reviews from from another friend, and when I saw it the first time, I was like, man, a lot of that was boring. Like I love time travel, and it's got some time travel-y things in it, Mm -hmm. but at the end of it, like the time travel stuff doesn't really make sense, and the rest of the movie was boring. That That was what I took away from it the first time I watched it. This time around... Since I knew what was going to happen, I was able to pick up on a lot of that symbolism that I missed the first mm-hmm. time. And so I, yeah. I was able to appreciate it a lot more. Yeah. So going in with that, I would say if I would recommend it as long as you're going to go into it like knowing that you don't know what's going on the first time. I, and then watching it the second time in order to pick up everything. I would, re- I would agree with that. So my recommendation is – so this is actually – this actually gets categorized in one of my t- in probably my top five films okay. that I've watched. And, um, and when we talked about it before watching it just now, I definitely judged you a little bit from that. Mm-hmm. But now that I've seen it a second time, I'm good with that. I'm okay so, with that. So I've seen it a lot of number of times, and even this time, there were things that I noticed that I've never noticed before. Yeah, like the um, eye. Like the eye that we'll talk mm-hmm. about later for sure. Um, and I definitely would recommend this to someone, and I but I would I would leave them with this caveat in that it's you need to watch it and enjoy it for what it is for just kind of like the interesting kind of weird oddball of a movie it is with like the ridiculous amounts of cameos throughout it. There was also a lot more need, humor than I was expecting. Really dark humor. Yeah, but it's good. I mean, well, it, well, not just dark humor. It's also like goofy humor too. Yeah. So they kind of like go back and forth between the two, mm-hmm. which again, the first time I saw it, it was jarring and I was like, what is going on? But mm-hmm. the second time I, I liked it. Yeah. So my recommendation comes with the caveat that you must watch it a second time. You I must would, at least watch it a second time. I would time. absolutely agree with yeah. that. So another thing is we watched the director's cut this time. Which I had never seen. Which So your f- first time seeing the director's cut, I actually saw the director's cut the first time I watched it. So I haven't seen it. The I haven't seen the original cut. So okay. would you say that you need to watch the original cut first or the director's cut? I actually think that a good combination is to initially watch the original cut, like the theatrical cut, mm-hmm. I guess, right? Because he had to take, I think I was reading online, and he, he had to take like 20 minutes out, and a lot of that is some of the more... Um, character development. Character development and also time travel understanding for the for the watcher mm-hmm. and honestly that doesn't add a lot of value unless you know where the story goes so like the first time you watch it you're not going to know where the story goes unless you listen to this podcast before you watch it but um so we're going to do all the spoilers later but <laughs> um so another thing you could do is you could listen to the podcast and then watch the director's cut yeah this is basically the theatrical cut is what we're going to give you here and then you just go watch the director's cut and then actually you're probably fine so um but no if you're not going to listen to this podcast or if you're going to pause this podcast go watch both of those movies i would say watch initially the the theatrical cut Second, and then the second time you need to watch the theatrical, or sorry, the director's cut, because of the added understanding that the 
uh, director's cut offers to the watcher mm-hmm. um, or to the viewer. And I think that I just think that like watching it and being kind of confused the entire time you're watching it for the first time adds this like level of curiosity that you almost as soon as you're done you could almost turn around and rewatch it. See? I could. I did actually. The first time I watched it, I watched it literally back to back times because I did not know what the hell was going on the first time I watched it. Yeah, maybe maybe that was my problem is that I did see the director's cut first, so I did see. Like the with the director's cut, there it kind of like gives you these. Uh, well, you know, we'll get into that later. But suffice to say, it does give you a little bit more of like what's going on from the time travel perspective, which is not generic time travel stuff. It's very, it's very specific towards this movie. Yes, and because it's- of that, I was like, like I I could connect all the dots, but there were definitely pieces missing. And I was like, this stuff doesn't make sense at the end of the movie. I don't really care to see this mm-hmm. again. The other stuff was just boring, and it didn't have anything to do with the movie. And I I don't care to see it again. So yeah. I guess that was my, my problem, is that I didn't see the theatrical version. So that does make more sense why, yeah. would you, why you would want to see that one. Because, uh, so, as what we're talking about, one of the main differences is, is like, throughout the movie, there's this... There is this theat- there is this time travel book that is kind of basically guiding Donnie through the time travel that he's experiencing or he's witnessing. And there are different chapters that kind of explains what he's experiencing. Right. And, and so, the theatrical version, you don't you don't see any of that. You know that he's reading a book, but that's yeah, it. That's it. So when you're watching it and you're kind of experiencing it from a completely outside perspective and you're like, what is this like goo that's coming out of everyone's chest that's like leading all these people like you know you don't understand like why like i guess you don't you don't understand significance of smaller items because mm-hmm. you don't have this book that you're reading alongside with the movie to really understand now in the director's cut they do splice in um pages pages of the book, of the book that give some explanation as to what you're seeing and what to expect in the upcoming scenes <clears throat> that i think adds a level of uh, understanding that are good to have if you know what to look for. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's more of a more of a completionist thing. Yeah. But it's for sure. it's not necessary for the experience. I would say the first time you watch it, theatrical for the experience. Second time you watch it, directors for the completionist slash understanding of what you watched. Alright. I'm good with that. Cool. So you ready for the beers next? Yeah, let's do the beer recommendations All before right. we dive back into this, what could be the longest podcast ever made. I so. probably <laughs> will be, yeah. No. So, Dream Crusher, what, do you, what did you think about that one? Okay, the double rye IPA. Um, I would not recommend it. And really? I, and for Holy couple, crap, Zach is not recommending a beer. Well, and I'll tell you why. I am unfortunately very hard on Deep Ellum. I think that they're a really mm. cool brewery here in Dallas, but there are some beers that I do that I think they just kind of like um, go through the motions. And this is one that it's this I, to me, it's not what I would ever look for in an IPA. It's super smooth. Like it doesn't have that bitterness and almost like refreshing. Yeah, it's like it's, it's not as refreshing as what I want an IPA to be. Yeah, it, it, the mouth feels pretty heavy. It feels it's more. Malty. Yeah, it's very I think malty. That's the, I think that's the rye, and so maybe it's not necessarily just the Dream Crusher. Maybe it's the the fact that it's a rye IPA mm-hmm. that it makes it super malty and less refreshing. That I do not care to really drink it. Um, but I mean, it is nine and a half percent alcohol, so it'll at least do the job. So. <laughs> um, 
Oh, no, what did you think about Dream Crusher? Would you, know, you recommend it? I would recommend it. I, I think that I am more of a fan of the, the multi-IPAs. I do like that heavier mouthfeel. I will say after drinking two of those, my mouth did feel very beery, mm-hmm. for lack of a better like term. Boozy? Or... Not boozy, like beery. Like mm-hmm. if, if you smelled my breath, you'd be like, oh my God, you smell like a brewery. <laughs> Um, which I mean is not necessarily a bad thing, yeah. But um, it's not something that I enjoyed at the time after drinking two of these. But drinking it itself, I'm I like it's it's very smooth, like you said. There is there's a bitterness, but it's blended very well with that kind of rye flavoring. Mm-hmm. Very which usually, yeah, I got I got citrusy citrus notes as well. I guess that's from the hops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, usually I don't like. Rye IPAs. I guess mm-hmm. since this one is a double, though, it makes it more... Does it smooth it out, or is it just about alcohol content when you get to the doubles? The double is... I I think I have an answer in my head, but I really don't want to say the wrong thing for our listeners, so I'll have to look that up. Maybe we can talk about that last time. But I, So I know that I kind of know what it means when people say it's an Imperial IPA or it's an Imperial Saison, what, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, Doesn't that just mean that it's been like essentially brewed twice, or is that wrong? The, an Imperial means that it's an alcohol content higher than that, which is determined as the threshold for that type of beer so it's like a saison would be like oh it's a saison <clears throat> if it's between five and eight percent and if it's a nine percent saison then that's considered like an imperial saison so it has nothing to do with like the brewing process itself it's just what you get out of it at the end yeah that's my understanding that's what i've been told from my um drunken conversations with people at breweries and, and stuff throughout around dallas so zach you're you're breaking my brain here why is it called a double then um it may be it is double hopped May that that's what I or it's think just it like is. Double the con the alcohol content or not double the al- alcohol content. I would say that it's it's double it's a double IPA. I think it's double hops. So I think that they they're supposed to be more hops added into this beer than a regular rye IPA. And the reason why you're probably not getting the bitterness is because it you get the bitterness from when you actually add the hops. So if you add the hops early on. That's where you're going to get bitterness. That's where you're going to get like you know that aftertaste, that like mm-hmm. super bitey aftertaste. Right. If you add a lot of hops later in the process, later in the boil, that's where you're going to get the high. Like it's going to help to kind of smooth it out. You're not going to get a ton of bitterness. You're going to get more of the flavor out okay. of it. Okay. Okay. So they could have added double the hops to this beer, but at the end of the boil, which is what gives it that super citrusy flavor without the crazy bitterness. Okay. I just don't really like so. That's awesome. I I did not know that. No. Okay, so now we can talk about the Philosophizer from Edelberts in Austin. So, Richard, what did you think about this beer? Would you recommend it to someone? It does come in a bomber, a 750 milliliter, so it's not a six pack. It also has like one. It's got like a like a champagne topper thing on it. Mm-hmm. Like it's got the the cork that you kind of twist off, and there's the the cage thing that goes yeah. over it, you know? The, like the the uh, metal liner. Yeah. It's yeah, fancy. Weird. I liked it. Yeah. Well, and their bottle is kind of, I mean, no, I'm not hating on Edelberts, but like, they're kind of like the clown shoes, right? You see the bottles and they all kind of look the same. They have the same kind of whoa, logo. Whoa, 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 whoa. Clown shoes is a lot like more interesting than Edelberts. Though. Yeah, but they're Edelberts also ones kind of, not boring, but it's very like, uh, homogenous. Exactly. And, okay, Clown Shoes, while, yes, not homogenous, it's still one that when you see on the shelf, 
unless you know about the brewery, I would never have grabbed that. It took me years to figure out that I liked Clown Shoes beer. That's and true. That's a good point. Edelberg's is kind of the same way. But anyways, the Philosophizer. So the Belgian-style Saison that's bottle-conditioned. Would you recommend it? I would say yes. I like it yeah. overall. Like I like the flavoring. I like the taste. I would drink more of it. Um, I would say that I, I haven't had a Saison before. This is my first Saison. Since it's Belgian style, I'm like when I drink it, I think Belgian. So I don't know which parts are a Saison. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's it's good for a Belgian if you like Belgians. Yeah. It reminds me, you know, kind of like a Le Chouf or a Chimay. One of those type of, uh, of Belgians. I thought they did a good job with the style, which I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's from Austin. It's not from Belgium. Uh, it's, I think they did a pretty good job with it. And also, by the way, in case you guys, your listeners don't know, when it's bottle condition, it comes in these large bottles. You have to be very careful to not store this bottle on its side. So mm-hmm. why is that? Because I actually had a friend a couple of years ago that was telling me about how he got this like awesome beer from Specs. And they immediately, like, put it on its side as soon as they, like, bagged it for it. Mm-hmm. And he was livid about it. So, like, what, what does that do? What's so, the it's problem? kind of, it's, like, kind of think of it, I guess the easiest way to think of it is thinking of a beer that's unfiltered, right? So, like, in each bottle, you're going to have a little bit of the yeast, which is still kind of cultivating and eating the sugars that are turning it into alcohol uh, that are still giving it flavor. Um, and so, there's, there's live yeast in there, and it ends up settling at the bottom which is fine because when you go to pour it theoretically right like you're gonna like the the yeast is gonna stay at the bottom of the bottle and you're not gonna have this cloudy mess that we're kind of looking at right now in the bottom of my glass right here so you're not supposed to pour the whole beer you're not supposed to pour the whole beer correct okay correct that's why you left a little bit in there exactly because you're being stingy no no you want to leave just a little bit of rim at the bottom um just in order to because you don't want to pour that yeast that's settled at the bottom so um yeah i mean i would recommend it i think it's good it's i don't know what Mood, I wouldn't want to be in to seek out a Belgian style mm, yeah. saison. Okay, if I'm in Amsterdam, uh, yeah, let's drink it, right? Um, but like, you know, it, it's not a great summer day beer. If it's cold outside, I want to drink a stout or a porter or whiskey. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it's an interesting beer. You have to be in the mood for some serious flavors because there's not a ton of hops in here. It's super yeah. malty, creamy uh, almost. Well, see, I don't know if I'd say malty. I would say, like, the Dream Crusher is definitely a lot more malty than mm-hmm. this one. Okay. This one is it's, it's lighter, but it's not, I wouldn't say light. How would you feel about the, the, the adjective creamy? I think the Dream Crusher is creamy. This one, hold on, let me let me take a sip. Right <laughs> you try it and see what you think. Um, you know what? Yeah, I, it is creamy. It's kind of You're just, right. It yeah. kind of t- I mean, like the consistency. It's. I don't want to say that this thing tastes like a cream soda, but but it's got that feel to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It without the without the like carbonation, really. Like, yes. Yeah, and so I mean, it's it pours it pours a good color. It smells good. It drinks good, and it's also almost eight percent alcohol too. So, um, I like some it. heavy overall, hitters tonight. Yeah, overall pretty good beer. Yeah. What's funny is that that almost doesn't sound like a heavy hitter to me because um, more recently it's been all about the bottle, like the barrel aged fourteen oh. percenter. For my birthday a couple months back, I opened that um, 
that tweak from Avery, uh-huh. and it's um, it's seventeen and a half percent alcohol. <laughs> so you're drinking uh, wine. It was like yeah, it was pretty amazing. I had half the beer. I split half the beer with a, with another friend of mine. Um, I should have split half the beer with you, but I have another one, Richard. So mm-hmm. maybe for a special mm-hmm. edition, we'll open the tweak. But I had half the beer with a buddy of mine. And uh, I had half that beer and thought to myself, I feel it a lot <laughs> from half a beer. And I'm concerned um, that I just started my birthday off on a very bad, bad manner. But it turned out okay. But anyways, okay, so we've talked about the beer. Let's jump back into the movie. Yeah, and so I usually I think we try to stay clear spoilers for the most part that's not going to be possible with this movie with with time travel stuff like you've got to dive headfirst into it yep so spoiler alert consider yourselves warned so i want to start and i want to talk about like donnie darko's kind of arc first before we like get into all the like random stuff okay right and zach so high level right very high level zach you've seen this movie more more than i have so stop me if I say anything that's, like, grossly inaccurate. Okay. But from what I recall is we have Donnie Darko, Jake Gyllenhaal. He is sleeping in his bed. He gets awoken by this bunny, by Frank the Bunny, which mm-hmm. he thinks is this imaginary person that he's made up because he's this, like, troubled teen, is going to a psychiatrist, is taking the, all these meds. Uh, he leaves his room... And kind of follows this bunny outside. And the bunny gives him this prophecy that the world is going to end in like 28 days or something like that. It's 28 days. And six hours and change. Yep. And 40, when yeah, 40. he is outside, a a uh, a jet, jet engine, engine falls into his room, crushing his bed where he would have been if not for Frank waking him up. Mm-hmm. Right? So... Uh, they look at the jet engine. They're like, we have no idea where this came from. The serial doesn't match. Like, there was, there were no planes flying overhead. We don't know what the hell's going on. This is the FAA. Right. The FAA is saying this. Okay. So, uh, now, uh, because this jet engine fell down, and this is where, like, the whole time travel <laughs> thing, like, starts to mess with my head. So, they, they go into a hotel room, but that doesn't really affect the story at all. So there's this new girl that shows up in Donnie Darko's school. Mm-hmm. By the I way, think you're, Donnie Darko is a high schooler. Am I getting? I think way you're out? going too into detail. If, okay. you're, if you want to do the true arc, I think okay. that you just need to say that um, he's saved from the he's saved from dying in, in early October by Frank, this imaginary bunny. Right. You kind of go through the next. You know, Frank gives him the deadline, 28 days. So the, right. basically, the last day in October, the world is going to end. Is how Frank puts it. So you go through these next twenty eight days, Donnie Darko's living, where you, in his, you know, you got to think like this guy is expecting the world to end, and he's being kind of influenced a lot by Frank and things that Frank want, Frank's want him to Frank wants him to do, and he feels obliged to do it because Frank saved his life from the um, jet engine. Right, but see, this is this is where the whole time travel wonkiness comes into play. Is that what we find out later is that Frank is essentially a time traveler that is guiding Donnie through all of this. So Frank comes back in time and he says, hey, Donnie Darko, I am going to guide you through the future. It's an alternate timeline. 
Right. So we find out that it's a, it's this alternate timeline that's happening. And Frank is saying, okay, Donnie, I need you to take this axe and go to the school and just, like, destroy all of the water pipes so that school is canceled. Mm-hmm. And since school is canceled, now you're going to talk to this girl. Mm-hmm. And now you and this girl are going to have this thing. Mm-hmm. And now I want you to burn down this guy's house. And since you burned down that guy's house, now it's revealed that he's a pedophile. And this other woman that is supposed to chaperone your sister's dance is now not going to be able to. And now your mom has to do that. And since your mom does that, now you can throw a party the night that the world ends. Mm -hmm. And the girl that you met, because the the school flooded, will be, spoiler alert, ran over by a car and murdered. And then your parents... Your mom, who is chaperoning your sister's dance, is flying back from L.A. that night. Her jet engine will come off of... The jet engine on her plane will come off the plane, and she and your sister will die. Right. So You did all these things so that this could happen. Right. So this is kind of the the overarching plot of what happens is Donnie goes out of his room, and because he does that, it inevitably leads leads to the death of this girl that he likes... But he only likes this girl because Frank told him to do these things that made the two of them meet, right? Yeah. And it also means that his mom and sister are going to die in this plane crash. Mm -hmm. But the only reason the plane crash happens is because Donnie left his room to begin with, right? Yep. Yep. So, and, and on top of that, the reason that Donnie dies in the end, the reason that, that... or I guess, spoiler alert, blah, blah, blah. The reason, I guess the, the death that Donnie avoids is due to this jet engine mm-hmm. from the mom and sister's plane crashing. From the universal, from that, from that timeline's universe is collapsing. Right. Okay. Because they collapse upon each other. I, so my, my belief is that there are two alternating timelines and that... Uh, there's like kind of the, there's the timeline that Donnie dies in at the beginning, and so everybody right. ends up being alive. So mm-hmm. Frank is actually alive in that one. The mm-hmm. girl that he likes, his mom and his sister, um, Patrick Swayze he's not a pedophile. Drew, well, Barrett, he's, he is a pedophile. Okay, but he, no one, he, knows, no he's one a knows he's a pedophile. Which I actually don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but maybe it'll change his life because of this. Um, but so all these people's lives aren't affected because Donnie died, and then you've got this alternate timeline where all of these things happen you know frank gets killed the guy who is the bunny basically so the bunny is just a costume and it's a guy's halloween costume so when we say frank we're meaning both the bunny and also the guy who is playing who is dressed up like frank for halloween but so frank's still alive the girl he likes still alive his mom's still alive his baby sister's still alive um drew barrymore still has a job at school all these things are still okay you know, are still are still okay, right? So I think that in the timeline where everybody's dead, Frank is guiding. Frank is guiding Donnie through that initial timeline, and the paths cross of the other timeline where everyone's alive, mm-hmm. and the universes collapse upon each other, allows Donnie to go back and. Transfer over to the... I don't know, man. Okay. It, 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 so, yeah, let's... I, oh, oof. Okay, so this is why we've got the philosophizer right here. Um, because we're going to have to ponder over all of this stuff. So, what I took away from it, again, at a broad level, is it's it's kind of like a Christmas story, or a Christmas carol, right? So, Donnie has 
seen the ghost of Christmas future, he knows what happens if he's going to live for the next 28 days. Mm -hmm. If he lives for the next 28 days, like five people are going to die and he's going to ruin the lives of two to three other people. Mm -hmm. Right. So therefore he decides to essentially kill himself by staying in bed instead of getting up Mm -hmm. and letting the jet engine crush him, Mm -hmm. which, Hey, dream crusher. Boom. Nailed. Um, the thing that I cannot get around though, where the fuck did the jet engine come from? The original jet engine. The original, the jet engine that kills Donnie Darko. It came from the time travel tube. It came, okay, it came from the time travel tube that happened. In the alternate universe. So you're saying that this, this jet engine crossed over into another universe, not just another timeline. That's the only explanation I can have because, like, because if him dying causes... The other the other outcomes to not ever happen. His mom never joining that plane or getting on that plane. I mean, I guess maybe it could just be from that plane. His mom in on it, but like it, but, to but me, no, it makes no, most no, no, no. Because the problem with that thought is that the plane is flying over Donnie's house twenty eight days after he dies. So even if the pl- if even if it is from that plane and his mom's not on it, it's still. Time like that jet engine is still time traveling. But I think that you're overlooking the fact that there, in order for there to be any time travel, there has to be a portal. And so, or, or okay, according hold to the on. Book. This is according to the book. So according let's, to the book. All right, let's let's stop right here and say this is this is what I don't understand about it. And now let's let's describe how time travel works. According to this book in the movie, I don't know if I can because this is the first time I've only. This is only the first time I've seen the director's cut, but um, I guess there is a portal. There's a portal and there's a vessel. And there's a vessel. So the vessel is, is metal. Is metal, which is the jet engine. Yep. So the jet engine is the vessel. So it's going through the portal. You know what? Let I think we need to stop here because this isn't going to make sense to anyone except for the two of us. Okay. Okay. So suffice it to say, the it's, time travel in this in this movie is very weird. It is very unique. Mm-hmm. You should just watch it and try to figure it out on your own. And if you figure it out, hey, tweet us. Yes. Knackbeer. If you have input, right? Like I think that you can interpret it multiple different ways. Um, but that's why I, that's why I like this movie. I think that like there are small things that probably I didn't notice that you didn't notice that maybe somebody out there listening has noticed or knows or has read online about the movie that we haven't, right? So we, you know, just kind of shooting from the cuffs after a couple beers <laughs> on here. Um, and trying honestly, to explain time travel, which is really tough to do. Well, I'll, oh, I could do it. I just can't do it within the realms of this movie's structure because <laughs> I don't understand that part. Um so that's well, so. what you were saying before, though, is actually a good point. That's actually why I didn't think I was going to like this movie coming into it is because again, like I already established, I felt like it was boring the first time I saw it because I wasn't able to link everything together that I was this time. Mm -hmm. But because of that, there were so many people that I talked to in like high school and college. that are like, Oh my God, you don't like Donnie Darko. You just don't get it. You don't, you just don't understand it. That's why you don't like it. And I was like, get your head out of your ass. Like, no, there's nothing to get about this movie. Yeah. Which now that I've seen it a second time, there's definitely more to get, but mm-hmm. I still I still feel like there it doesn't make coherent sense. So I will agree with you in the sense that the time travel is 
as you can tell from the last 15 minutes, very <laughs> difficult to follow. But I think that what makes this movie really good is the use of symbolism and the use of like literary type themes throughout the movie that are really interesting. So, yes. Um, like one scene that I actually noticed for the first time today, and this is again probably the 15th or 20th time I've seen this movie. So, Frank, the guy, later in the movie is shot and killed by Donnie Darko. He's shot in the eye. Earlier in the movie... In his right eye. In his right eye. Earlier in the movie when Donnie's having these visions or these daylight hallucinations, at one point he's in the bathroom with a knife for some reason, some creepy reason. Yeah, I don't know why he took that knife, but he, he took it out of the... He got it out of the, like, the kitchen block. Yeah. He's just like, I'm going to carry this knife with me. Yeah, and so he's in the bathroom and Frank shows up and he's kind of trying to touch Frank, but Frank has this, I guess, like, like know, a force like field. force field around him is the best way to describe it. And he's kind of like slowly, not aggressively, he's just kind of trying to stab the force field yeah. almost to kind of break through and be able to be, be close to Frank. And every time he touches it, the right eye on Frank like lights up and glimmers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very symbolic of like what's to come, very, very interesting use of foreshadowing because the eye is kind of a shine like the face of frank is kind of a metal-y sub you miss basically looks like a metal bunny face like a right. metal gruesome bunny face and so the first time first 15 times i've seen the movie it just kind of looked like the light was gleaming off of it interestingly you know or weirdly and now that i know what to look for every time he touched it and that light lit up in that eye just i don't know it is really interesting and really really small yeah, I mean, on top of that, there were also so uh, Drew Barrymore plays an English teacher, and so we've got a couple of scenes with Donnie in class with Drew Barrymore, and she's kind of you know teaching these different books. Uh, one of the books that she, the, the first book that she kind of goes over is called um, The Destructors, mm-hmm. and it talks about how it, it talks about these these group of kids that kind of like break into this person's house and just burn it to the ground. Mm-hmm. And apparently the way that they break in is they, they kind of like destroy the pipes. And so that also mirrors what happens in the movie with Donnie destroying the pri- the pipes in the high school and then also burning down uh, Patrick Swayze's house. Mm-hmm. And that in turn reveals him to be the pedophile. Mm-hmm. And, on t- and after that, um, there's Watership Down, which is about bunnies. And specifically they reference uh, one of the bunnies being kind of like a, like a prophet. Mm-hmm. Which is essentially what Donnie is because he's got this voice speaking to him. Frank mm-hmm. is speaking to him about the future. And he, you know, he's telling everyone like, oh, watch out. The world's going to end and no one really believes him. And he has the ability to see people's path. Right. Quote, unquote, future path because of this gooey blob that comes out of everyone's chest and kind of shows where they're headed. Yeah. Which yeah. is interesting. There's some, there's some weird references And that's, references again, that's the weird, like, time travel yeah. thing, which I, like, was that... I don't know if it was supposed to be like water, but it looked like a dick. It looked like a water dick or something, like an erection of the soul, maybe. <laughs> a soul erection. I don't, I don't know. It was that was like a James Brown song. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, I'm gonna get your soul erect. Let's get that soul erect. <laughs> uh, but oh, we let's let's steer clear of the time travel conversation because I think we've agreed that that's difficult to follow, probably difficult yeah. to follow for the listener. So let's, it's too let's hard talk for about me to more follow. of some of the uh, more interesting, um, smaller kind of symbolic type things throughout yeah. the movie. So I loved the uh, like the fat Asian girl um, 
And every time someone talks to her, she just says to them, Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Come find out she's in love with Donnie Darko. Go figure. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things that I like the best about this movie is... Um, the the way that the, it kind of portrayed the relationship between like all the siblings and also mm-hmm. like just the 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 way that all of the high schoolers were interacting with each other mm-hmm. like it seems very genuine like Donnie Darko is kind of an ass mm-hmm. he's a dick yeah he's like but he's here. also like kind of I won't say lovable endearing. dick but yeah he's an endearing dick also his actual sister Maggie is his sister in this movie right which was kind of part of the synopsis that I gave earlier yeah and she's I mean, she's kind of like this aloof, like, older sister that's kind of like, you know, oh, I'm better than you. But, like, you kind of get that through the interactions with all of them, which is nice to see. Like, I feel like usually when you see kids in movies, it's just done terribly. Like, the dialogue is like, oh, you can tell, like, an adult wrote that. Like, what is happening here? Well, so I know, so I know, um, Jenna Malone, who is, um, who's the girl that Donnie falls in love with or has a love interest for. I know that, so this movie came out in 2001, so she was only, how old was she? She was only like 16 or 17 when this movie was made, so she was actually a high schooler. Mm. So I think that that helps. I don't know how old um, um, Jake Gyllenhaal was when this movie was made, but he couldn't have been much older. He kind of looked like a girl in this movie. Yeah, and they actually, very feminine. they actually, uh, I think at one point they mentioned the fact that he was held back because like of his like psych issues. Yeah. So, I mean, all, and again, all that's believable. But I still feel like there's there's still points where, like, even if they get the casting perfect, you still have to get the writing good, mm-hmm. too. Because it's not like the actors are the ones coming up with the lines. True. It's like, sure, sometimes they may they might ad-lib, like, a couple of things. But, but the interaction, through, though. Yeah. Like, the actual, more, like, manieristic-type interactions. And even the stuff really, between, really uh, like, Donnie and Gretchen. So, Jake Gyllenhaal and, and Jenna Malone. Like, that's... It was, like... It was very awkward, but it was kind of like you said, endearingly awkward. Like yeah. that's I could see that interaction happening between True high form. schoolers. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of high school, I just had a. You want to hear my stretch of the movie? Oh god! So the high school they go to is called Middlesex, and the future blob that comes out of them is kind of this like sex object in the middle of their body. <laughs> <laughs> is that the stretch? Is that the stretch of the year? I don't know. That I I wouldn't be surprised cuz there there were there were a good amount of things that that were kind of loosely tied together with this movie. Mm-hmm. But and this is another issue that I have with it. I feel like there were an equal amount of scenes that didn't really go anywhere. And maybe that's because of the extra 20 minutes added on to the director's cut. Um, there were a lot of things they left open. Like well, why, not, why was that fat guy in multiple scenes? Not really that, open. I, I don't know if I would say they were they were left open. It was just that like there were scenes that happened, and it was like okay, like yes, we kind of like know more about those characters now, but we ultimately didn't need to know more about them, and I feel like that was a waste of time. They were not value add, right? Yeah. But I still I still kind of like I enjoyed those scenes individually as its own thing, mm-hmm. even though it didn't add to the the bigger picture so i'm kind of at an odds with how i feel about him yeah like when the the parents are sitting at dinner and then they're just having like first of all they're not saying anything for at least a minute and then out of nowhere the mom brings back up donnie 
telling some woman to shove a book up her ass. Yeah. She's like, oh, like, we need to punish him. And the dad's like, oh, I think we should like get, get him, him a award mo- or something. Get him a moped. Yeah. And then she goes, and then the mom goes, I think we should get a divorce. And then they just kind of look at each other. And then they laugh. And then it goes on. Yeah. And you're like, what the like, scene fuck change. just happened? It was like, why? Yeah. Why did we I think that, that was character all? development. It it was. To, to like talk about their relationship. It was. And like I said, I enjoyed it. Like, if you just look at that one scene, I think that was a good scene. But it didn't add to the movie. And so, like, after seeing that, I'm like, okay, where is that going to come into play? Oh, it doesn't. Can we talk about the fat guy that was in the woods? And we can, okay, yeah. We what the let's f- talk about the fat guy in the woods. That guy should have been tied in somewhere. You would think he would have been like there when Donnie killed Frank. Or okay, hold on. Let's let's something. actually let's talk about who this fat guy is. I don't know who this fat guy is. So the first time that Donnie and Gretchen or Donnie tries to kiss kiss Gretchen, she's like, no, 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 I don't want to kiss you right now because I want it to be special. And then she's like, also, I don't want this fat guy to be watching us right now. And they look over, and there's this fat guy in a tracksuit smoking a cigarette. In the woods. In the woods. Yeah. And then he just, like, throws the cigarette down, puts it out, and then continues walking on his way. Mm -hmm. And then later on, like, during Halloween night or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, we just get a shot of him, like, again, smoking a cigarette with, like, all these kids running around, and he just kind of walks And he's in the red jumpsuit again. Yeah. It's same exact clothes. It's weird. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Another thing I didn't get, what's up with all the political stuff? Like the Dukakis and, yes. the, and the Bush There stuff? are so many like conversations centered on Dukakis and the fact that like, oh, um, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, or I don't remember her name in the movie, but the older mm-hmm. sister is like, oh, I'm going to vote for this guy. And, and her dad's like, oh, well, you shouldn't vote for that guy. And then later on, there's like multiple conversations about either Dukakis or Dan Quayle. And I was like, if you're just trying to establish, like, the era this is in, which it takes place in 1988, like, mm-hmm. you've already done that with saying, hey, it's high school class of 1988, so why are you, like, dragging on this, like, political stuff? Like, there had to have been a reason for it. So I did some research, and this is just because I'm not the most historically, you know, gifted person i don't remember a ton of things from history but i was trying to figure out if the dukakis bush daddy bush um if that election was the one that people thought dukakis won and then come back bush actually won like if there was some sort of a recount or some sort of a miscommunication of elections and then i thought oh it'd be interesting well no because i guess the election wouldn't have happened at that point because the election happens in november right so and again, if you're just trying to build up like the atmosphere, like that's great. You can have that stuff on in the background because yeah, it is the end of October in 1988, so there is an election about to happen, and obviously that would be probably ruling the airwaves. But you don't have to have multiple characters discussing this. Well, maybe that's why they did it is to make their interactions feel more realistic because at that time in 1988, it's the end of the Reagan era, right? It's, it's Reagan's last year. That is probably a pretty heavily debate. Like, it's probably a, a lot of people are talking about that in 88. And that's great. I'm all for realism. But the problem is that it doesn't serve a purpose other than saying, like, hey, we're being real. Well, yeah. And, and that's... But that's a purpose, though. I think that they're, like... <sighs> I think that they... Like, you just said you liked the interactions between high school students. And so I think that then you can't then come back and say, oh, I don't like that there were conversations around the presidential election that had no effect on my life. 
No, no, no. I li- I I liked the interactions between high school kids from that realistic perspective, but half of the conversations didn't drive the plot forwards at all. And so that's like I both like it and I hate it. And that's the part that I can't really rectify is is that like I I enjoy those things but strictly from like a one-off perspective. As a whole, like taking this movie on all at once, it makes me say like Oh, maybe this isn't the best movie ever. Yeah, like if if you were to if you were to either take those those random things out or somehow change them to tie in with the overall themes of the movie, like with all this like fear stuff about how Donnie has to overcome his fear in order to die alone because mm-hmm. that's what his family needs. Like that's awesome. That's mm-hmm. perfect. I would I would say that this movie would ascend to probably my top five Mm -hmm. but because we have this extra baggage in there it's 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 kind of weighing it down for me what about i'm just being devil's advocate slash throwing out some random thoughts that i have as as you say this what if the director writer executive producer drew barrymore thought that adding in this unnecessary real feeling actually adds to your appreciation of the other sim- symbolic like symbolism that they're using throughout because as you're going through you really have to pay attention to everything that's happening because you don't know if it's going to be relevant or not like maybe they're saying like hey here's a conversation that's going to take five minutes i don't know is it going to be relevant or not later but see that's that's my issue though is that since you don't know that it leaves you more confused when you're watching it and I think that was my problem the first time I watched it. That's why I thought it was so boring is because half of this stuff has no payoffs. The other half does. Mm-hmm. So I was I was picking up on both and I was like, okay, so this is going to come back. No, it doesn't. Or this is going to come back. Oh, I guess it kind of did. And because there wasn't a whole lot of payoff in that, I stopped paying attention to those things. Mm-hmm. To the small details. Right. But in shows like... Um, like I, I just started watching the the second season of Better Call Saul came out on on Netflix, so I like finished that in like a week. Mm-hmm. Like in a show like that, every little detail that like seems a little bit off, like is put there for a purpose, mm-hmm. and everything is kind of like maybe not leading to this grand thing, but it's it's kind of building up this 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 sense of what's happening in the characters' minds. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that with half of these scenes. So again, I'm 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 glad that it was realistic. Like I appreciate the 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 genuineness of it. Mm-hmm. But it just leaves you more confusing because this is a very confusing movie altogether. Mm-hmm. And when there are pieces that you can't fit into this puzzle that you're creating, it's just like red herrings that kind of throw the whole thing yeah. off. Yeah. I see that. Do you know a fun fact about this movie is that uh, it was set to release in September of 2001, oh. but they pulled it from theaters, which is why it's a cult classic, because of the plane crash, obviously, in 9-11 in 2001, but that's why it's like kind of an underground movie that's considered a cult classic and never went to theaters. So there is a theatrical review version, but it was only released theatrically, I think, in the UK, maybe? Really? Yeah. Okay. Honestly, I think that probably worked in its favor. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because if, if I went to see this movie in the theaters, I would be like, what the hell did I just watch? Yeah. Like, why did I, I wouldn't see watch this? it again. No. But since it's a cult classic, kind of, a, you know, has this cult following. Yeah. I think that you are, you want to be in the cult following. You want to understand why other people like this movie. Mm-hmm. So you end up watching it a couple times. 
to get an understanding. And I think that like you end up getting a payoff after a couple after a couple views. Yeah, that definitely empowers it. Yeah. Um, so last thing I wanted to talk about, I know we were going to steer clear of the whole like time travel thing, <laughs> but Let's this is it. this is crucial to the ending of the movie. Okay. And again, this is like one of the linchpins of why I don't understand what happened. So at the end of the movie, Donnie Darko essentially like travels back in time. So he's he's seen the whole movie. He has witnessed what happens if he's going to stay alive. It goes back in time to him being in bed before this uh, this jet engine crashes into him, and he decides to stay there instead. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all that I'm okay with, but the problem is that. There are people that he interacted with in this alternate timeline. Some of them remember what happened in the alternate timeline. Some of them don't. Did you read that page that came out? That the, the page that was on the screen. I it did. said that that those most affected by the time traveler will have like re, will feel regret and sorrow at that time at the time of the time traveler's death. Because of the things that he saved them from. Right. Basically. So, like, they would essentially remember, but no one else would. The, yeah. the people most impacted by Donnie Darko would remember. That's, according that's according, what I according out to the time travel book in the movie. Yes. Right. Okay. So, I kind of I wrote down the people that, that remember and the people that don't. Yep. So, we've got the psychiatrist remembers. Yep. So... I don't like. She wasn't really affected by him, though. Like I don't she know, was, I think she was pretty freaked out. She was freaked out by him, yeah. But nothing really impacted her life. Nothing impacted like her, uh, her her career. That's fair. Like she, and on top of that, like she never, she didn't know that he died. Like she didn't know what happened that night. Well, none of them do at that point. It's they wake up when he dies with a dreamlike feeling of regret and sorrow. But but why? Why did she have that feeling of regret and sorrow? Because according to the writers, she was affected by him. And when he died, she, that, like, what could have happened filled her with regret and sorrow. I'm not saying that it's a great choice. I agree that I don't think the psychologist was the best one to include in this list that you're about to go through. But that's according to the book. Okay. So the next one was the science teacher, which Donnie has multiple discussions about time travel with. Mm-hmm. So again, he wasn't really affected. Like, yeah, time travel is super interesting. And if I was a science teacher and I was kind of into time travel and this student came up to me and was like, hey, time travel, and I got to talk to him about it, I would be super pumped. But it wouldn't really affect me. Well, but it also drove him, like the conversation drove into this more faith-based discussion around like, well, but if you can see time and you can affect time travel, then you're basically saying that like you're God. Yeah. That God is not controlling your path. Um, and so I got into this a little, I think it got deeper than just time travel conversation for Noah Wiley who plays the scientist from ER. So that one I'm, I'm a little bit more okay with then. Yeah. So Drew Barrymore is the English teacher. She does not remember. That one... Even though she was explicitly fired from her job because of what she taught Donnie Darko and because of what Donnie did vis-a-vis, like, flooding the school and then burning down this house because she was the one that taught the book about kids burning down a house and flooding a house. I agree. I think those should be switched, too. All right. So the next one is uh, Patrick Swayze, which obviously he would remember... Because he was, he was outed as a pedophile. Yep. But 
it doesn't really show what happens to him. Like, is he gonna like repent? Like, is he gonna keep pedophiling? Is he, yeah, is he gonna keep pedophiling? Is that a verb now? I don't know. Yeah, I just made it a verb. Okay. Pedophiling. No G though. Possibly right. in. So the next one is the uh, the kind of like bitchy uh, teacher that's in charge of the uh, uh, Miss Farmer. The, yeah, she's the PE teacher who does sparkle motion. The, da- the like, she's the in little, charge of the little girls dance group. The, the baby, yeah. She was like obsessed with Patrick Swayze and his teachings. Yeah, she was terrible. So she does remember. And Which is, is that, also weird. Is that only because Patrick Swayze was outed as a pedophile? No, I don't know why she was. That one was also weird to me. I thought they could have left her out. All right. So next one is a Chinese girl. Yeah, because she loved she loved Donnie. She loved Donnie. Okay, that's that's cool. But like she loved him before all of this yeah. happened. So like the he ultimate timeline didn't really do anything. But he took care of her, and like the last he thing didn't. he said, the to only her, thing he did was he grabbed her earmuffs. Well, like he said, the, like you're gonna be okay, and then stole her earmuffs. Well, throughout the movie, people are picking on her, and he keeps saying like, "Hey guys, leave her alone. Hey, leave her alone. Hey, leave her but, alone." But he probably would have done that even if he wasn't well, in this alternate timeline. But he's dead in this alternate. Eh, timeline. Okay, I I don't think that he impacted her. I think more so than the PE teacher. Okay, I'll agree with that. So next one, Frank. Obviously. Is it obvious, though? Yeah, he, the, otherwise Frank is dead. Okay, the only thing that Donnie did, though, is shoot Frank. And Frank led Donnie throughout the entire path. It's like 100%. That's like the okay. most obvious one. Whoa, no. whoa, whoa. Okay, you can, so, no. so if we're saying that Frank led Donnie through the entire path, so you're saying that Frank, alive Frank. No, dead Frank. So, so dead Frank went back in time led Donnie along this mm-hmm. and then became life Frank. No, he saved life Frank in the alternate time, in the alternate timeline. So dead Frank saved life Frank. Yep. So therefore dead Frank, whatever dead Frank saw life Frank did not see. Cause these are two separate entities. Well, no, no, because you still have to have some sort of merger of these two timelines. Like they're still the same timeline. It's still the same path. They just haven't diverted yet. I think that Frank is the most is by far the most affected. It, one of the four most affected people. But he's only affected because he went back in time after Andy he died. didn't die. I don't. I don't get your point of what you're saying. Why you're saying he is? He should not have been affected. So I'm saying that if so, we're talking about if if these people just like you're asleep, right? And you dream that you live, you go through an extra 28 days. So you dream 28 days into the future. So this guy, Frank, he, when he's asleep dreaming, he is designing his bunny suit. 28 days in the future, he accidentally runs over this girl and then gets shot in the face. It's a pretty big dream. It is, but it's... More, okay. more of a bigger dream than the science teacher having a conversation about God. Okay, but like how more, many dreams do you more, die in and you wake up and you're like, oh man, that was kind of messed up. Well, and you, you, go don't, back to you don't dry, die in any of your dreams. You wake up before you die. Yeah, but so this guy probably woke up like right as the bullet was like coming at him. I don't know time travel. Maybe he <laughs> died in his dream and he's like, holy shit, that'll really affect you. Okay, okay. I think I, 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 I disagree with you. I think that Frank is the most, one of the most obvious people that, to be affected. Okay. I will we'll agree <laughs> to disagree on that one. Okay. So the next one's... So the sister and dad do not remember. The older sister, Maggie. The older sister and the younger sister. Oh, yeah. I guess none of the sisters. Yeah. Both sisters and the dad don't remember at all, even though this is their son and or brother 
that died and they live 28 more days with him. The mother does remember. Mm-hmm. Why does she remember and they don't? Because she is the youngest daughter that would have died in the plane crash is too young to really re- recognize the sacrifice that Donnie made. So and like it doesn't really register <clears throat> like that dream doesn't really register the significance. I don't think but the mom's dream of like the sacrifice that Donnie took in order to save her and the daughter is very – I think that that's very – that hits her really, really heavily. Okay, but if we're saying that these people are just dreaming what happened, what they experience in the 28 days, that means that from the mom's perspective, she gets on a plane, there's a plane crash, she wakes up. And there's a plane crash and her son is dead. Yeah, but I, so how does she how does she I relate think, the fact that her son died to the fact that she's no longer going to die? I think that you're missing a connection. So I think that they that the people that do remember also like yes, you're I think you're only imagining that they felt the twenty eight days, but I think that the like the people that are feeling it are also also recognizing that what like what Donnie did to prevent those twenty eight days from happening. Like recognizing, but how do they feel that? How do they? How recognize do they time that? travel? Uh, through vessels and portals, obviously. Oh, I think that, like, it, I, <laughs> but I think that there's more than just like, oh, well, the 28 days is what they're remembering. I think that there's more than just the 28 days that they're remembering. So I'm okay with that, but that is a logic jump that was not explicitly ex- explained in the movie, and that's that's the part that I'm not okay with is the fact that, like. I'm I'm good with you jumping to that conclusion because I, I I do think that this is this movie I think is probably one of the best cases to be made that movies can be art because mm-hmm. it is it is very subjective. Like I think if I were to watch this movie in my formative years, there would be like dialogue that I picked up that would I w- I would really take to heart. Mm-hmm. But now that I have been formed, I don't really see that, and I appreciate it for what it's worth, but I don't kind of, like, take it and, like, make it a part of myself. Mm-hmm. And I think on top of that, like, there are, are uh, there are certain ways you can view this movie and say, like, oh, this makes sense to me, or oh, this doesn't make sense to me. And I think that's kind of what we're coming to now. My problem is that, like, that's, that's typically not how movies work. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm glad that you come to that conclusion, but I don't think I can come to that conclusion That's, based on what I see. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's a difficult concept to wrap your head around, to wrap any, to, for anyone to wrap their head around. I think that there are certain things that, that I, maybe I am, cause I, 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 just, I guess I just don't see like, that's the rationale that I have to under that I have to take in order to understand why some people remember and some people don't. Right. Is that they also have to recognize the sacrifice made to prevent those bad things from happening. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I mean, that's the only rationale that I can come up yeah. to. And, and that makes, but also that the first sense, time that I watched it, I did not, but also the first time I watched it, I only watched the theatrical view. So I didn't have any, <laughs> I didn't have any guidance as to what was actually happening. And the director's cut, it tells you like, there are people that are filled with regret based on blah 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 this and that, and kind of gives mm-hmm. you an expectation of like who's gonna who's going who's to gonna remember. What, yeah. And so the first time, first many times I watched it, I was like, okay, okay, why does that person remember and that person doesn't? Okay, and so like forced me to I think maybe come to that conclusion. Okay, and that that I think I'm better with than having the movie kind of explain it to you because yeah. again you've you have to kind of piece these it's it's your own experience it's yeah. what you feel what you piece together yeah and i i'm a fan of that 
Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that the movie kind of pulls you there, but doesn't take you the whole way. Yeah. So with that in mind, mm-hmm. last person, Gretchen, the girlfriend, does she remember or does she not? Because I feel like it's intentionally ambiguous mm-hmm. in the movie, and I kind of like that. I agree. So I think that she remembers something, but at the time Donnie dies, she hadn't met him. So I don't think... And the and Donnie when he comes out of that when they pull, bring him out of the house he's covered up in a sheet so she doesn't see him so in her head she's got like this vision of this guy that she had the, you know she experienced in her dream and is has this sorrow towards and then I think that she has a name associated to it Donnie but she doesn't see him and so she doesn't like know that for a hundred percent sure mm-hmm. that that's the guy that she was dreaming about so I think it's like ambiguous to her too yeah. I think I think so too, and I I like that that kind of way of thinking about it because like she definitely so at, at the end like she's kind of riding her bike by the house as Donnie is wheeled out on this this stretcher in this body bag and this other kid's like oh you know Donnie Darko died and she's like she kind of pauses and she's like oh that's really sad mm-hmm. and then she kind of like waves to the mom and the mom waves back and then that's like the end of the movie yeah. But also, they're playing what I think at the end of the movie the best like scored song. Oh God! Yeah. Along with it, I mean, this is obviously where like the iconic Mad World song comes. This is the first time that I've ever heard of it. You know, the one um, that's just super dark and sad, and it's just a piano and this man's voice that talks about a mad world and um, right. These it's, dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. Yeah. It's just, it's perfect for the movie. It is movie. absolutely perfect. And I, I I thought that it was made for the movie. I might was surprised been. that it is. is it it might have been. I don't know. I'll look it up afterwards. Yeah. But we'll add it, it is, to the, to the it website. Is in, it is, just fits perfectly with, with this end. Yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this movie wasn't made, or if the song wasn't made for the movie, I wouldn't be surprised if someone heard the song and then created this movie based on the song. Yeah. Because yeah. it just it's it just meshes so well. It does. It's, it's it's beautiful. It adds power, I think, to the to the to the end of the movie when it could get boring and you could be like, Oh, what was that resolution? You know, it's it could be a I think that it adds to the resolution to the movie by, by oh, yeah. a lot by a lot. It gives it gives me chills. Like every time mm-hmm. I hear that song, even though like I said, I didn't like the movie the first time I saw it. I still associate it with that movie and I still get chills yeah. thinking about that one scene of like all of the people and kind of going over them and like, like seeing their, their expressions as they awake from this dream mm-hmm. that happened or didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. I think that's going <laughs> to do it for us tonight. <laughs> I think we got a little tense there at the end. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Richard. I didn't mean to. No. We're both very passionate about our takes on the movie. And I think that we have very good reasons to have those. I, I have no problem with that. I just okay. hope that everyone is able to follow along with what we were saying. Yeah, sorry guys, but um, if not, you should watch the movie and then re-listen to it because hey, maybe like the movie, the podcast is better the second time. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, you want to talk about the next week's? Yeah. Uh, first off, again, we've got our website up. So netflixandchilledbeer dot com. Uh, no e and chilled. Netflix and chilled beer.com. Mm-hmm. 
we'll have a companion post up. We'll probably post the song that or the rap that Zach was yep. rapping Biggie's, Biggie's at the Smalls. beginning. Yeah. Uh, we'll have the uh, the song at the end. Yeah, we'll put up Mad World. We'll, we'll put up some, Mad World. We'll send some stuff out on Twitter. Let you guys know when it's available to listen to. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so the Twitter is at knackbeer.com or knack.com at knackbeer. Yeah. N a c beer. Yeah. Um, and those are really the best ways you can get in touch with us. We got an Instagram too, but that's not really fully functional yet. Yeah, There's a couple things out there, but yeah, I'm not very mainly Twitter. Either. Yeah. Twitter would be the, the go-to or, sure. or, uh, our, our website. Yeah. You can email us from there. So, but, uh, next week we're going to be following Jenna Malone, who was Gretchen, the girlfriend of Donnie Darko in this movie. Mm-hmm. We're going to be following her into contact. Yes. With Jodie Foster. Right, which and is Tom's a hard scary. sci-fi movie, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of excited about that. I I, I like the sci-fi genre. I actually haven't seen this movie Ooh. before. I saw it a long time ago, and I remember liking it, but I don't really remember the movie at all. <laughs> I'm assuming that we make contact with aliens, if that's my guess. I, From what I remember hearing about when I was a kid and it came out, I remember hearing it was boring, but also I feel like... Hard sci-fi movies are supposed to be like intellectual and not like super actiony. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, um, oh god, what was the movie that came out with Amy Adams? It was up for Oscars mm. with her like translating Arrival. Ah, yes. So yes. like that one. So if I had seen that when I was in like high school, I would be like, "What the hell is this? Where are the aliens at? Like they're not fighting anything. Where are the missiles?" Mm-hmm. But seeing it, you know. When I just saw it like a couple months ago, it was awesome. It was yeah. so good. So I'm expecting contact to be similar. Yeah, it should be good. Tom Skerritt's so, in it, so. Yeah, sure. That that makes everything better. Yeah, the, um, the mustache guy from Top Gun, of course. Right, okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, join us next time when we watch Contact. Until then, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.